Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, we are we're here at the penultimate episode of Deep Space Nine, a series that was pretty much new to you and uh, a lot new to me as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've watched all of it, but I didn't like, I didn't retain it the way I retained TNG. So this, this wasn't your SNL. <laughs> yeah. Chris Kattan was nowhere to be found here. And therefore, <laughs> can you imagine Dr. Bashir as played by Chris Kattan? It would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. It would have uh, messily chewed up a lot more apples. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. But uh, I thought uh, maybe a fun way to to celebrate nearing the end here would be to uh, for me to quiz you on some general Deep Space Nine knowledge. Uh, and I found a, a quiz on HowStuffWorks.com. I have no idea how long this quiz is, so maybe we'll we may, we may punch out before we reach the end of it, depending on how much clock we've eaten up. I can blame Chuck for uh, me failing miserably at this. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think that's only fair, Adam. I'm sure he had uh, his hands all over the creation of this quiz. You, you know um, who I can rightly blame is you for uh, for quizzing me on a show that we've been doing at the end of it. I didn't know that was the deal I'd signed up for. <laughs> uh, well, we could do it together. I mean, I I think that the the way this website is set up, I don't see answers here, so I could. Uh, we could we could like talk through these and and answer them together, and I'm sure we'll get some of these things wrong. Oh yeah, I I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Uh, well, uh, here's our first question, Adam. What year did the show debut? 1989, 1991, or 1993? Well, 89 was when TNG premiered, right? So it can't be yeah. that. Cannot be that. I think I'd vote for the latest one. I think I'd vote for 93. Even that sounds early, though. Yeah, it's crazy to think that it's 93, but it is. I still don't believe it. I think the quiz is wrong. <laughs> well, um, people, I'm sure, will tell us if something about this quiz is wrong. <laughs> All right, next question. Deep Space Nine aired during the same time period as what other space-themed show? Star Trek Voyager... Star Trek The Next Generation, or Battlestar Galactica? I mean, aren't all these answers correct? I think it definitely overlapped with TNG and Voyager. Yeah. So this this quiz is already seeming a little bit sus to me. I think that reboot of Battlestar Galactica maybe came a little later. Hmm. Well, uh, I've clicked on Star Trek The Next Generation, and that seems to be the only correct answer. Wow, what the hell? <laughs> oh, here's a question. Which character was originally slated to be Cisco's second in command? So this is this is a little fantasy casting, fantasy writing here. Answers possible are Ezri Dax, Worf, and Ro Laren. Oh, I do remember that Ro Laren was maybe supposed to, and then and then Michelle Forbes took a role on a different show 
Right. I mean, how how differently would this series have been with a Rolaren as number one? Yeah. Hard to picture. I wonder if they would have kept her in the Starfleet uniform in that context, if it had been Lieutenant Rowe as the second in command. Both of us are correct. The answer is Rolaren. I do remember reading that bit of trivia early on in the series. Michelle Forbes went on to uh, to make a different career choice. She was in a Weird Bayou Vampire show for a number of years. Wow, and, uh, fun. She was great on that. She's a, she's a great actor. I'm a big fan. How about this one, Adam? Before Deep Space Nine, Avery Brooks played a character on which show? Baywatch, Spencer for Hire, or Magnum P.I.? God. Many years ago, uh, my wife and I took a trip, and uh, I think for weather reasons, we were just kind of trapped in our uh-huh. room. And uh, and a reliably great source of entertainment is going to be whatever channel it is that plays Baywatch 24 hours. <laughs> and we watched Baywatch, I swear, for an entire day. Just wow. nothing but Baywatch. And uh, I, I don't believe I've seen a single episode of that program. It is so much fun wow if you're in the right frame of mind to just uh to just turn it off completely turn off your brains uh that's and and just plug in to the Baywatch. uh it's it's fantastic uh what i'm trying to say ben is that when you watch that much Baywatch in a single day you will have noticed an avery brooks were there to be one on the show and i'm telling you <laughs> i did not see an avery brooks during that full day rewatch so i'm gonna i'm gonna eliminate baywatch from contention and say instead magnum pi the correct answer was spencer colon for hire hmm. i never i've never seen a second of that show this may be the first time even hearing of that show i mean yeah. i knew that avery brooks had like other big credits before DS9. Here's actually a kind of related question, though. Which actor was originally tabbed as playing Commander Sisko? Was it Alexander Siddig, Wesley Snipes, or Avery Brooks? The fact that Avery Brooks is in there as one of the options is a little bit weird. <laughs> God, a, a Wesley Snipes as Captain Sisko brings a totally different energy to the thing. You ever play roulette? I wonder what that would have been like. Uh, I'm going to make that my answer. Was it ever Wesley Snipes? It is not correct. It was, in fact, Alexander Siddig. He was originally slated to be Commander Sisko. I wonder what that's like to be up for the main character, to not get the main character, and remain on the project for seven years. Yeah. Every day you show up... (laughs) wondering what could have been like like our understanding is that uh is that the cast got along fine uh there was no drama around that bit of business but like these are also human beings right it would have been quite natural for alexander siddig to to daydream about that some days right totally i mean acting is such a such a strange job when it comes to issues of ego because it can inflate your ego more than almost any other job and also crush your ego more than almost any other job and like when you're an actor getting 
a series regular role, especially on Star Trek, which kind of becomes almost an annuity because you can rely on making a living going to conventions and stuff after you've been in Star Trek. Like the answer to do you want to take a role on Star Trek is yes. <laughs> you know, it's a good business move. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but boy, it also must be a little bit crushing. I mean, who knows, man? Why does a person choose to become an actor? I've got to believe that some portion of them must want to be a star. Yeah. You know, like there's there's craft reasons, of course. There's a number of other reasons, but you can't tell me that an actor doesn't have that that place inside them that that doesn't ache for above the titleness, you know? Yeah. There is a conceit that motivates every creative pursuit. You have to believe that you have something to contribute and that people will like the thing that you do in order to like get off the couch and do it. Uh, except for in our case, which is making a Star Trek podcast, which we never wanted anyone to listen to. <laughs> we never wanted anyone to listen to it. We never wanted to do it. <laughs> Here we are. Episode 350, Adam. <laughs> is it really? Here is uh here's one that I had never heard uh I had never heard anything different than Space Station before but what was the original setting for the show a desert a mountainside or a remote farming community Oh god all of these ideas are terrible <laughs> I know Yeah I really looking forward to this this Friday's episode of Star Trek Farm <laughs> <laughs> Man, if it had been a mountainside and they just had the fucking foam rocks the whole time, like everything was Star Trek caves 100% of the time. I mean, I could sort of see the idea of it being like monastic Bajoran temple built into a rock face as its as its primary setting. Like I I could get that as related to what we actually did get. But yeah. boy, none of those three ideas have any curb appeal at all to, as a pitch would go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Star Trek V's desert setting is like the one thing I could think of in universe that would right. be kind of interesting. Yeah. But like, even that, like when they had the budget and resources of a feature film to throw at a desert setting they did kind of a crappy job <laughs> you read about how much of a struggle it was for the cast and crew to do the remotes that they did for ds9 and frequently yeah. the the stories they told where they were the most miserable were in those desert environments yeah shooting in a desert is really hard i had a dpa used to work with that was a uh he would go to burning man and shoot video there and when he'd come back like his equipment was destroyed like the desert destroys film equipment i have never shot in the desert but i've shot many times in sub-freezing temperatures and while miserable i would take that 10 out of 10 times over desert <laughs> well what's your guess desert mountain or farm i think we've made a strong case for desert so i'm gonna go okay. with desert here correct they decided that it was cheaper to film in a space station instead. Is the is the little thing you get when you They're not wrong about that. See that it was a correct answer. Ben, what is the photon torpedo capacity of Deep Space Nine? 
Ooh. If you were to guess, is it 500, 5,000, or 10,000? In, in asking this question, I want you to consider the, the total population of DS9, because I think these numbers are related. Yeah. You need a torpedo for everybody, right? Yeah. It's, so I'm in, I think I'm going to guess 5,000, because I think that the population of the station is around that, right? Ben, you are correct. So it is 5,000. And yet the 5,000 number as the population for the station doesn't seem right. But there is a question and a set of answers that gets to the heart of that matter, Ben. How many people inhabit the station? Your possible answers are 300, 700, or 1,200. Oh, wow. I think this number changes a lot over the course of the series because at the beginning it's a bit of a ghost town and then mm -hmm. it's like more and more populated. I'm going to say 1,200 is what they are going to have as the answer here. 300 is what? in fact Deep Space Nine's population. Man, that, that's smaller than the population of Shit's Creek. That seems... <laughs> less plausible than the number of torpedoes question and answer <laughs> you know yeah yeah where do they get this information i don't know if i were to grade our score here ben i think i think we got a solid c on our exam mm -hmm. i think what's going to happen at the end of our greatest generation series on deep space nine is we're going to be given a passing grade definitely not honors uh and then we will be able to graduate to Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to be proud of how we've conducted ourselves. Uh, the right. teachers are going to be relieved that we're moving on. We might get into like one of our backup uh, Star Trek colleges. Right. But uh, we probably have to transfer in as a as a sophomore if we want to go to, to our first choice. For financial reasons alone, I think we're going to be happy that we ended up in a smaller... <laughs> Uh, community college environment. Uh, all right, Adam. Now that we're saving all this money, do you want to get into the episode <laughs> that we came here to talk about today? Now I'm ready to spend all this capital on uh, <laughs> on what you've called the uh, the penultimate episode of Deep Space Nine and our 350th episode of the Greatest Generation. Congratulations! Yeah, congrats, dude. Uh, we made it. We here. It's Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Season 7, Episode 24, Dogs of War, Part 8. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. And I don't know where we are when this episode begins. I've never seen this place before, at least I can't remember <laughs> seeing it in the last several months. I've, I'm being yeah. told that, that it's Ops. Ops. It's like the bridge, but for not a spaceship. They uh, they left one of the the plastic covers on on one of the chairs. It's been <laughs> it's been in storage so long. Yeah, yeah. The producers found the set in dumpsters outside the studio, and were like, "Hey, yeah, you know what this is? This is a set from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, one of the earlier seasons." Kramer got it and uh, set it up in his apartment, and now he's he's shooting fan fiction there. <laughs> That's why Ezri and Dr. Bashir are smoking cigars when uh, we catch up with them. They are both super awk with each other still, trying to make small talk about Odo, who is uh, getting discharged from the infirmary soon. Um, 
Discharge is a bit of an inelegant term when talking about Odo, a man who <laughs> could literally flow through a the end of a syringe or whatever. When you're a doctor uh, making a prescription or a diagnosis, you, you definitely want to choose your words carefully around him. Yeah, but uh, but doing much better. Great news. He's interested. She's interested. What's the problem? O'Brien and Worf are kind of doing a Statler and Waldorf of their awkward encounter on Ops, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Yeah. I like this establishing shot. There's like there's like a lot of camera movement. Like mm-hmm. a guy beams into frame in the middle of this oneer, and you know the the camera's not locked off. It was. I don't think that you get to see that very often in Star Trek. That's kind of a hard effect to achieve in this era of television. It's a really dynamic bit of business here. This is an Avery Brooks episode, so yeah. uh, he's moving the camera around. Big delivery. <laughs> Shows up at DS9 here. They take delivery of the USS Sao Paulo. USS Sao Paulo. Which is a defiant class starship to replace the little D. Yeah. It's almost exactly the same. You know, if the lights were out, I doubt you could tell the difference. (laughs) (laughs) And so much so that they, like, even want to change the name just so they don't slip up when the lights are out, right? Yeah, that would be embarrassing. You don't want to scream out the name Defiant when you're at the helm of the Sao Paulo, because the Sao Paulo will will not put up with that type of shit. There are very subtle differences between the two ships. Like, the, the configuration of the bridge seems a little different. Yeah. The carpet is different. I hate the carpet. Bashir just hates the carpet because there is carpet, I bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All that fresh scotch guard, it's not going to be very absorbent. Yeah. I wonder if a new ship has a new ship smell, you know, the way anything that's just been off a production line does. That has to be one of the qualities, right? Whenever a bunch of people inhabit a space, I mean, they, they give it, they give it a smell. They imbue it. Yeah. The carpet has got to be Mm off-gassing still. Mm -hmm. It's got to have that like formaldehyde factory smell. The the bronze plaque with the name of the ship in the corners probably smells like a metallurgical factory. You know, Lower Decks was so interested in questions like these when it when it was new ship time. I'm thinking of, uh, yeah. of that scene where they're pulling off the plastic film where no one's allowed to wear shoes on the bridge. Yeah, with the yeah. The new ship. Like, that's all great stuff. I wish there was more of that at Deep Space Nine. Captain Sisko's not interested in keeping it brand new. He seems like the type of guy who takes his action figures out of the box, you know? Yeah, he uh, he writes his name in the inside cover immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately upon receiving it from Admiral Beltbuckle. And yeah, we get some some business about about how the ship is set up. It's, uh, it's hardened against that Breen weapon that fucked him up last time. So that's a huge relief. I really like how we cut back and forth in these initial scenes between the feeling of accepting a new ship and its command and the situation on the tick where our resistance fighters are. They've approached Cardassia and they're thinking they're there to meet up with a half a million troops who are down for the cause. And they're so confident about what's waiting for them that they leave poor Seskal in command <laughs> and uh, and beam on down. The resistance is about to get a big boost and uh, 
when they materialize in these Star Trek caves that they're going to be meeting their gulls and legates in, they they realize that this is this has all been a trap. It's been a setup, and they got fucked. Boy, the uh, the name Seskal for that guy they left up in orbit really confused me because Kira keeps radioing up to him, but with like in a whisper. Yeah, Kira to Seskal, get us out of here. Seskal, when you're whispering it, sounds a lot like Cisco, which is somebody she also radios a lot. And yeah. I was like, why does she keep saying Cisco? And who is this man that is answering that has girders falling down all around him? What it salsa? That salsa. We know that Garrick is with Kira and Damar down in the caves, but when they cut back up to the tick, Seskal, when the girders are raining down and the sparks are flying and he's screaming. Seskal looks so much like Garrick to me in those scenes that that this was confusing. Yeah, it was confusing. It was confusing in two different ways. I, right. I, I had the same thought. It's a character that could have used like an establishment in a previous episode so that this wouldn't be right. This wouldn't bump us. That quality to a horror movie where you've gone and hid in a closet and you're looking through the slats and you're watching the monster, you know, lay waste to your friends. Like, that's what's happening here on the cliffside above. The Resistance is watching mop-up duty happen to uh, to the people that they were there to meet. And the Jem'Hadar have just laid waste to their allies down there. And they're talking amongst each other about uh, how successful they've been pretty much across the board. Like, yeah. this isn't the only instance of, of this mopping happening. There's been a... There's been a lot of, of putting the mop into the squeegee and buckets <laughs> and then uh, and then dragging it through some other resistance fighters. And right. then, uh, you know, you want to you want to fill up that bucket with some warm, soapy water for the amount of work that that they're doing here. Sooner or later, the water starts to show the evidence of how much muck you're getting off the floor. Right. And you're like, this can't be helping at this point. <laughs> But, uh, but they keep going. The Jem'Hajar are just spreading it around at the moment. <laughs> this is a pretty scary situation. They're basically stranded on the surface of Cardassia Prime with nothing in orbit to rescue them. Yeah, RSVP Sescal. <laughs> yeah, and RSVP the Resistance. So... In the caves, they've got to act quickly because it's a real aliens moment of watching so many asses get kicked and having to figure out very quickly, what do we do now? Where's the real pretty shit now, man? And Garrick quickly thinks of Mila, uh, his old housekeeper and secret keeper, uh, thinking that they should probably head for the capital and to her uh, in order to get some cover. The housekeeper, Mila, has uh, has not been keeping much house, at least here in the basement that she's going to hide them in. This is a very, uh, a very dank, smoked out space with lots of like, like they do that like super like 90s action movie thing of having really hard light going mm -hmm. through the fog that they have put fan blades in front of so that it's like constantly flickering. Right. I mean, when you see the square footage to the basement, uh, my imagination really took off about the above ground portion of this home must be palatial, right? Yeah. It's got to be real nice digs. 
Is this the same house that uh, we visited when Garrick had his big confrontation with Anabrintain, the head of the Obsidian Order? Oh, yeah. That would make sense. Is this Casa de Tain? <laughs> it's, it's neither the basement nor the attic. <laughs> yeah, it's the cellar. It's, the, it's a slang term for the cellar. Right. Yeah, so they're going to they're gonna hunker down here, see if they can get in touch with people like they need they need comms they need food mila quickly kind of downplays how good the food she'll be able to get them is i was never much of a cook but i knew how to keep a secret yeah she better be careful on those stairs yeah i worry about her those uh those chain guardrails <laughs> seem like not great for a, for an older lady yeah hey you can get a finger stuck in one of those and then you're in trouble pinch is so bad so it seems as though this will be their safe house as long as they agree to clean it up. And this yeah. this launches a, a really fun kind of uh, summer movie montage where, <laughs> you know, they break out the buckets and, and the scrubby clothes to wear yeah. during the cleanup process. And there's that scene where, like, Kira's painting a wall and then, and then she, 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 like, brushes Garrick's nose with a paintbrush. Right, it's, right. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It seems like a real drag until they see the pool and then the whole thing turns around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and by the end of it, everyone feels a lot better about a job well done. And uh, yeah. they've forgotten for just a little while uh, the their impending deaths. <laughs> uh, back on the station, Bashir has his sort of... Uh, his sort of end of hospitalization debrief with Odo, who he's uh, given a clean bill of health and put back on the active duty roster. Um, he has some pretty heavy news to lay on Odo. And I kind of thought that the heavy news was going to be, we've lost, we've lost touch with Kira. Her life is in danger. She <laughs> is presumed dead yeah. or missing on Cardassia Prime. Bashir does not tell Odo about that in this scene. No. Uh, instead, he tells him about how Section 31 attempted to commit xenocide by infecting Odo and, and thence the founders with this founder disease. And I was really, I thought Odo knew that already. Yeah, this comes as a surprise to him. And he is pissed at being used. I kept wondering why he wasn't more pissed, and this explains it. He didn't know. He didn't have this piece of information. He's pissed for a couple reasons. One, at being used by the Federation, and B, that uh, Bashir, as a matter of policy, has made Odo sit in a wheelchair to be discharged from the infirmary. <laughs> making like, I can walk out myself. This is totally unnecessary. It's a liability reason. Why are you wasting this orderly's time pushing me around? It's so silly. I could be a wheelchair if I need to. Yeah. Kind of an ugly scene between the two of them. After, after all Bashir did for Odo. Yeah. Ungrateful. Yeah. He's an ungrateful changeling. That's true. There's an elegant cut between this argument between Odo and Bashir and Odo and Sisko because Sisko tells Odo that they can't share the cure with the founders no matter how much Odo wants them to do that as long yeah. as they're still at war. I, I wanted a little bit more about this Federation Council decision because it seems like this has been decided at the highest level of government 
and that Cisco considers it a great injustice. But it seemed to me that this cure is leverage. Right. You know, whether or not it's good that that Section 31 did it, which I think everybody that we like on the show agrees it's not. They do actually have something they can offer the founders to back off and go back to the G quad and stop bothering everyone. The thing on my mind in this scene is exactly what Captain Cisco interrogates, which is we don't need you going off on your own and giving them the cure to this or involving yourself in this matter in any way. No one can afford for him to go rogodo. (laughs) (laughs) And he agrees not to, but like... Like, I reserve the right to be surprised if Odo doesn't go rogue, but like, you can't, you can't be like, Captain, I'm, I'm leaving and the cure is inside me, you know? I mean, I'm imagining him belly flopping into the Golden Lake with the cure and curing everyone and that being what happens in the next, in the final episode of Deep Space Nine. You think it's belly flop? I would probably do like can opener, personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's sad about can opener is that is that the the spray back that hits the rocks on shore, like that's that part's not going to be cured. Right. That that's part sad. dies. It was like 50 people, Odo. Come on. You had your chance. <laughs> <laughs> I went for the bit, not for the smallest sploosh. Odo is fine agreeing to Cisco's terms, but he definitely has the last word on his way out the door. And this, uh, this is, I think, the last we see of Odo in this episode. Is it? Yeah, I was trying to just organize my thoughts about this episode. Like, what's the A story? What's the B story? And it, like, there are so many little threads in this episode that it's really hard to even think about it in those terms. And and this is one example of that where it's just kind of like, a, hey, here's the story element that will be important later, but uh, we are not going to even attempt to drive this plot any further than we already have. Right. We've got to make room for the Quark storyline. Right. And uh, this is like a Quark storyline in the grand tradition of very silly Quark storylines. I had wondered if if this kind of thing was behind us you know like right. like we're we're very intentionally wrapping up our character stories as we go through this uh several part ending to the series why wouldn't quark get his ending he's a main character on the show yeah why why, why was i surprised i'm an idiot <laughs> <laughs> well he's also just kind of not been top of mind because he's been missing from some of these episodes yeah if not entirely then almost entirely and when he gets a foreground storyline they tend to be kind of goofy so this one is you know it starts with him in the bar and uh rom is uh encouraging uh lita and another dabo girl to uh make the case to quark that he, he shouldn't be garnishing his their tips quite as badly as he is and uh he he can't answer to this very legitimate employee complaint because he gets called away uh by a facetime from the grand nagus are there are there sub naguses or like there's somebody that's just like regional nagus it would seem 
like for all the time we've spent on Ferenginar, that we'd know a little bit more about how their government operates. That seems like a moving target, especially in this episode. Yeah. Grand Negusek is, is jangly keys to us. <laughs> yeah. So this FaceTime is uh, is one of those ones that I always get from my parents where they keep like walking away from their Wi-Fi hotspot or or like they can't figure out how to frame themselves up in the in the camera because it's too small and they just like don't pay attention to that part of the screen. Sorry about the- if only the show knew what life was like for us right now. They could have really <laughs> leaned into that terrible camera angle. Uh, when I when I was really sick a few weeks ago, I had like a telemedicine appointment with a doctor who I literally looked at like the top two inches of her forehead the entire time. Come on. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess I don't need to see your face because I'm just telling you I'm like sick in bed and like telling you a couple of symptoms and you can you could tell me what to do. It doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Exactly. There's a uh, there's a, a competence issue yeah. here. So the Nagus has got news, but the but the the line has a bunch of static. Right, and uh, this is explained. We get bits and pieces of this, but it seems that Ferenginar has some sort of acid rain problem. So presumably, the Nagus is. Retiring in disgrace because he has destroyed the ecology uh, of his planet and uh, his uh, his petty way of ruling and his, uh, you know, nationalism over all other considerations just didn't work for the people of Ferenginar. Because Zek only knows a handful of people uh, anywhere, <laughs> he chooses... A successor that the viewer recognizes, and for the moment, that is Quark. And he is taking this like it's good news. I I had expected there to be some equivocation about his feelings on the matter, but he is psyched. Something like a, oh no, Zach, fool me once, shame Mm -hmm. on you. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. Would have read a little bit more authentic here to me. Right. Because we've had this storyline before. Quark totally thought he was going to become the Negus. He thought he was the Negus. Right. But no, he's just excited. And Zek is on his way to make the announcement. So he's really looking forward to that. For all we learn about Ferengi government throughout this episode, I'm shocked that that a head of state just hand selects their successor. Like that that's how it works. <laughs> we understand that there's a Congress... And there are yeah. and there are voters and stuff, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, just imagine if the line of succession was was that intentional. Yeah, what a nightmare! It seems like maybe that makes sense for how it used to work, but not how yeah. it would work now. Right. To be quite honest about it, I was in a Mister Bucket, I have to revert back to my state. Oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. We've got to cut back to the replomat where Bashir and Ezri uh, literally bump into each other. He almost knocks her uh, apple wedges and cottage cheese off of her tray. They're just so awkward about this. It's so cute. Do you care about this? Like, sincere question. Do you care about the Bashir and Ezri relationship? I, f- I kind of do because while Bashir was a real turnoff 
to me as a character early on in this show. Pretty pervy. I think that they kind of revised enough that he became a guy that I care about and that I feel like to leave Bashir as unlucky in love as LaForge was in TNG would have been a real like repeat offense. Total bullshit. And disservice to the character. I wish that Star Trek was better at, you know, while they're while they're putting so much effort in infinite diversity and infinite combinations that uh, it also made it a little more okay to be alone, you know? Like, I care about Bashir a great deal, and I like Ezri a lot, but um, it feels like... It feels like we don't have enough time to care about them together or care about why they should be together in a way that if you're given this much time to conclude their stories might be better spent making the case for them being okay not together, being just fine even. Yeah, there is a fairly unconvincing head faint at that in this storyline in this episode, which is Mm -hmm. that they kind of start to express themselves and the fact that they both... Uh, sort of sweat the other and uh, and then do that thing where they sort of back off the precipice and saying well we don't want to ruin we don't want to risk jeopardizing the friendship uh that's a real thing you know i had a crush on my wife the second i met her but i was also like homies with her for a while before we were an item and being homies with her was great so i didn't <laughs> i didn't necessarily uh you know i i definitely questioned whether whether i could like potentially lose a friendship over uh, over making a move i really like how this scene is blocked because these are two characters who begin in close proximity and then end the scene not only further apart but with something between them like they're 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 in what looks to be a, a storefront of some kind. It's the Claire's of Deep Space Nine. Right. There's an alien preteen in there getting one of their 14 ears pierced. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real thing. It takes a lot yeah. of time. Yeah, you're right. That's the, the blocking is really nice. And the performances are nice too. Like I they they like end it with a handshake and like they are gassing themselves up for this is great. Like we're going to, we're going to save the friendship by not trying to date each other and uh, both putting a brave face on that. But, uh, but we see through it. Like being a director isn't just about, uh, you know, motivating your actors and getting them to say their lines, right? Like a big part of it is like walking them through the scene physically, like from one to two. Yeah. And and making all of this work, it's not just it's not just a name and a big title. Like there's like this is the work you do, and I think Avery Brooks does a good job here in in some of these subtleties. Yeah, totally agree. Speaking of uh, walking one to two, Brunt uh, hits his his one at the entrance to Quark's bar, and uh, and his two licking the bottom of Quark's shoe. Right. In the next scene, it's a room full of people drooling over how rich and powerful Quark is about to become, really counting those chickens before they hatch. 
there's some real my friend won the lottery vibes to this scene, right? Yeah, which uh, really makes people miserable from what I understand. Yeah, Uh, the misery has not yet begun for Clark. He's imagining uh, the composition of the pipes his shit is going to flow through in the not too distant future. It's big, big fun uh, seeing Jeffrey Combs go double duty here with Brunt and Wayun in an episode like this. Like, yeah. Once the rumors are right. And there's a physicality to Brunt that I really appreciated in this episode, maybe more than any other. Like, he seems to be a character that is aware of the frame that he is inside on TV, even, you know? <laughs> like, like, there are moments in this episode where he... He enters the frame almost knowing that, like from several different directions. Yeah. It's big fun. He he is here to curry favor with the man who would be king. You sort of believe it, right? Like like Brunt has always been much more about power than like following the rules or any of the other things that he sort of drapes himself in. So if he can like get his his way back into Quark's graces, then he has ensured his proximity to that power. You got to believe that the powerful boots are the tastiest, right? They're going to be <laughs> the least covered in shit. Yeah. Quark's been walking around behind like an active service bar, you know? Like lots of stuff is spilling on the floor back there. He's, his boots aren't powerful yet. Right. It's got to be nasty. On Cardassia, we finally get a shot that I think we've been missing for quite a while. The uh, the video billboard yeah, outside their government <laughs> building where uh, Wayun has become a special correspondent for Cardassia News, uh, where those watching have entered a no-spin zone about the events of the day before. This is a really <laughs> fun video package here, like a pre-produced video package. Nice use of B-roll. Yeah. Uh, nicely done. Like two Jeffrey Combs scenes directly abutting each other, two really different characters, mm-hmm. and a really scary announcement. Like this is this is Wayun getting on like a simulcast across all the networks to announce that the Cardassian Rebellion has been totally crushed. Yeah. All eighteen bases gone. Damar's men are no more and and he also claims that Damar is no more. Sometimes this effect is intentional in a in a clumps kind of way. Like, look at all the things that Eddie Murphy can do, you know, sitting at the same table as himself. And yeah. and other times I feel like a show or a movie would obscure the idea of an actor playing a couple of parts and would be very reluctant to butt scenes of the same actor playing different characters together. But I think this is an example of like just the great amount of confidence the show has in a Jeffrey Combs and really like the greatness of him as an actor is being able to pull this off and know for certain that that you can get away with it and it's not going to be a distraction he is playing two very different characters and you wouldn't really even know if if you weren't looking at the credits I wonder if they like just ran an experiment by like cutting a couple of scenes with him as these two characters together in an edit bay and just like watching them back to back to see how it felt. Well, I think it's it's very intentional that they didn't cut from ECU to ECU. They cut from Brunt right. to uh, to Wayun in a box in the corner of the screen and then they sort of uh, move the camera toward it 
in a right. way that I think is for that reason. Yeah. I like how all Cardassian TVs look exactly the same from the view screen in ops to the one on the side of the building to the little one in the cellar that Kira and Damar yeah. and Garrick are watching. They're all identical, just different scales. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone... Someone won the TV wars on Cardassia, <laughs> and now RCA is all you can get. Exactly. The rebellion crushed like a grape. The three people in the cellar are like totally demoralized around this. This sucks. I love the conflict set up immediately, which is like Damar's incredulity versus Kira's focus on what's next. You know, right. uh, Kira is all about we got to get out of here. She attempts to rally the troops behind her, but it seems like uh, Garrick and Damar are pretty deflated by this. Like, I'm sure a lot of people with roommates realized at the beginning of the lockdown, like, oh, my God, I'm stuck with these idiots indoors yeah. for an undetermined amount of time. Like, that's what that, I think. I feel like that's what's motivating Kira here is like, I can't believe I'm going to fucking be stuck till the end of this war with Damar and Garrick, of all people. If Kira wants the dishes done, she's going to have to do them herself, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Everything in the fridge that she bought, she has to tape shut and write her name all over. None of this is Mila's problem, though Mila does have an interesting bit of trivia here, which is that the prevailing public opinion above ground is that Damar is still alive. Nobody buys this uh, this filthy propaganda being spread by Wei Yun. But you got to wonder about, right, like living in a super repressive society, how much... Like everything is called into question when reality is that distorted. When you can't agree on what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. wonder what that's like. Hmm. Hard to imagine. Hard to know who's got it worse. Uh, those in the basement or, or Brunt giving Quark a pedicure <laughs> and, then, uh, and then giving him a tax form for his records. This is emblematic of just how much things have changed on Ferenginar and yeah. it, uh, it is an affront. The, the episode's directed by, by uh, Avery Brooks, but this one scene directed by Quentin Tarantino Oh, yeah. Puts the feet in the foreground. And directors, by and large, are the most butt-ugly, motley group of geeks found this side of a Star Trek convention. It seems like Quark has, has been kind of focused on other aspects of the news, namely the war that is happening directly outside of his bar, much more so than the, like, economic and political reforms that the Negus has been promulgating on Ferenginar. Right. Uh, because... Uh, He's been he's been doing a lot of reforms. Like you said, there's now there's now like a legislative body that, to serve as a check on the executive branch. And I'm not talking about the kind of check you get paid with, Adam. No, we wouldn't know anything about that. There's a series of bullet points that that just offends Quark's very nature as a as a Ferengi. Yeah. It's it's like giving him a physical reaction. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of a retread of previous quirk conflicts where, you know, his mom has gotten the niggas to consider allowing women to earn profit and quirk is 
so conservative minded that he can't he can't get with that initially and has to be talked off a ledge um i wished that this cork storyline had been a more original one it just kind of felt like a rinse repeat of two previous quirk centric episodes and and it also didn't it didn't ring true. Like in this scene, I, I'm sitting here going like, I don't remember what happens at the end of this episode. I don't well, like, I don't think Quark becomes the grand negus of Ferenginar by the end of Deep Space Nine, but it does. It strains credulity that the negus having gone out of his way to like completely reform Ferengi society would then appoint as his heir, the, most hardline Ferengi on the show that isn't Brunt. Yeah. You know? It'd be like if the cool Pope retired and left Benedict in charge again. Hmm. You know? Like, what are you talking about? This is an episode that made me think a lot about how you possibly tie up a character like Quark's. Do you... Is your goal redemption for his character? Is it too late for that? Do you... Do you want to see him reduced... By the end, it's a hard question to answer. Right, because the utility of Quark as a character has been like deal weapons of mass destruction to terrible people guy and also like, oh, like he came through in a pinch and got us out of jail or something. Right. So I think that they kind of had an impossible problem here. There's not really a way to... And maybe, maybe it's sort of the same issue with... Bashir's romance with Ezri like Bashir kind of changed they changed what Bashir was so many times that it's like hard to wrap it up in a way that feels really authentic right uh, one character we've never questioned the authenticity of is the change leader uh, she stayed true to form the <laughs> entire time in a yeah. manner of speaking uh, Wayun <laughs> is is in her office to introduce Legate Broca uh, who's going to be the new head of the Cardassian part of the Dominion. Yeah, this guy is a real boot clicker. Uh, comes in and salutes. He seems very happy to be in the part of the of the pecking order that he is under the Breen and under the Vorta. <laughs> and, and his boot clicking like impresses change leader not at all. <laughs> Your service is noted. You didn't thank him for his service, asshole. Very interesting bit of business here is that change leader is changing strategy. Yeah. As change leaders often do. Mm-hmm. She wants to she wants the Dominion to fall back to Cardassian space because of the solution that uh, their opponents have found to the Breen energy weapon technology the the thinking is that they're going to use this time after falling back to make more gem hadar troops i was amazed that this was a totally unprecedented thing in the military the 10,000 year military history of the dominion they have never retreated before this never give up never surrender it really like mathematically it makes that a little more clear than it's ever been the success of the federation klingon romulan alliance to the extent that that they're that they need more bodies, they're chewing up so many bodies that they can't make them fast enough over there yeah. on the Dominion side. It's pretty wild. Who's <laughs> making them faster, Ben? The Dominion <laughs> or uh, the Klingons, Federation, and Romulans? Everyone's reproducing. War makes everyone horny. Yeah, <laughs> you know. 
including the factories where they make the Geminar. <laughs> That's one horny factory, Adam. It's true. Oh, I had a question about this scene. They introduced one of the Breens as Thought Prawn. In a previous episode, we met Thought Pren. Mm-hmm. But two different thoughts? Two different thoughts at the same time. Yeah. Hard to hold two different thoughts at the same time. That's, uh, that's how you get cognitive dissonance. That's what makes change leader the leader. Yeah. She can do that. It's a sign of intelligence. Morn, morn, morn. sweet, morn, morn, morn. You hear everybody? Morn, stop. Hammer time. If Quark is going to be the new Nagus, the business about the bar is going to have to be concluded. Does he get to be the bar owner anymore? I don't know. But Rom sees this as an opportunity. And uh, yeah. and I love this from Rom. Rom, the village idiot for so long, uh, actually doing a shrewd bit of business here in taking advantage of Quark's distraction, getting him to sell <laughs> the bar to him for a very good price. And yeah, no haggling even. It's a moment that is an example of the infection that Quark has described occurring all over Ferenginar. He he thinks he's got it, this illness. Just as bad as the uh, as the flakiness that's affecting all the founders, right? It's right. uh it's everywhere and and who knows where the cure even comes from. Was section 31 behind it? Did section 31 clandestinely sneak into Ferengi society and suggest a bunch of liberalizing policy initiatives? Who knows. Only Sloan, and he took those secrets to his grave. Empathy. Such a virus. <laughs> Empathy. Pass it on. Yeah. Quark has decided he's going to turn down the job unless there are rollbacks to all of these progressive policies. Yeah. If elected, he will not serve. <laughs> I, I didn't really know why Rom wanted the bar, though. Like, yeah. it, it's never felt to me... Like, or, I mean, it hasn't in the past felt to me like plausible that Rom wanted it, but I feel like Rom has really like moved on and put some respect on his name by becoming a talented and, you know, like good shift having engineer. Yeah. Doesn't he have a job? Uh, You know what? I bet he wants to get out of that business with all the shit that's rolled downhill off of O'Brien onto him you know (laughs) yeah this is another example of why we needed a couple of cutaways to rom just like in yeah in a total panic over his workload because o'brien has spent the last several episodes just hanging around the infirmary i think this is asked and answered now like we we know why rom (laughs) is doing this yeah we did we did the math i love that we get to see the streets of cardassia yeah, this didn't this set look so much like the Romulus set from Reunification, though? Really did. Yeah, I ex- I expected like, some uh, bistro tables and some soup. The, the the lack of soup shocked me, frankly. <laughs> that's not the only thing that's that's familiar, Ben. We get uh, we get a depiction of someone being hassled for their papers. Hmm. Uh, this is Garrick, and uh, there's there's some tension in this scene because. Uh, what Garrick has gone and done is plant a bomb somewhere, and uh, and he's standing really close to the blast radius of this bomb when these Jem'Hadar stop him and and ask him for his work order, and uh, he's kind of trying to talk his way through it while Damar and Kira watch from the shadows in horror, and uh, 
They're they're worried that this bomb is going to go off and take Garrick with them. So they have to act fast. This is an instance of someone wearing a a little red riding hood cloak and hood, probably attracting more information, a more probably attracting more attention than they're <laughs> than they're interested in, right? Because how yeah. can Kira walk the streets at all on Cardassia? <laughs> yeah. People people see that cloak casting her face in shadow and say, hey, let me see your spoon. You want to see under that cloak when you see a cloak, right? I mean, like, when I saw the Jawas as a kid, I, all I wanted was for them to pull that hood back. Right. right. What do they look like under there? What, how, how are their eyes so lit up? They've got to do something, Ben. And Damar decides that if it is to be, it's up to him. He confronts one of these Jem'Hadar guards and then the shit goes down these jim hadars recognize him unlike the ones on that thick daddy space station they visited a couple episodes ago afternoon everybody it looks like a firefight's about to break out and it does because kira starts licking shots at the jim hadar and then the explosion goes off people are falling over in the street rubble is flying everywhere and when the smoke clears the Jemadar are all dead and none of the cardassians are yeah very lucky because uh because damar is able to kind of turn this moment to his advantage and he goes like full william wallace on these people he like stands up on some rubble and starts starts a chant of freedom among the assembled masses uh people on cardassia are not used to people speaking openly against authority like this, but it's very exciting to them. So they all get involved with the chant. You can't miss the kid with stars in their eyes looking at Damar yeah. in this scene, getting totally swept up <laughs> in, the, in the moment. I looked up who this was. This character's name is Loner. <laughs> Loner is this character's name. And uh, Wow. And this is this is the beginning of loners indoctrination. Yeah. You wonder you wonder how a loner falls in with a crowd like the resistance. Yeah. Yeah, he's psyched and so is everyone else. And uh Damar knows good showmanship. He knows to leave on top. Everyone's cheering for freedom and he bails yeah. out the back door. Yeah. Unlike uh when the greatest generation goes on tour and we walk off stage in disgrace at the end of every show. Right. Well, we walk off stage and directly into some bathrooms is what we do. <laughs> Loner is an example of a thing that I noticed in this episode that there just didn't seem to be any shortage of extras that got a line. Mm -hmm. Like Loner gets one. Like I think the next scene is the one where like a lady gets off the elevator and unlike almost every moment like this in television does not remain silent but in fact says like a like oh excuse me or something as she as she walks past yeah and uh i wondered like they must have just been like okay we've got we've got uh you know three hours of television left to shoot <laughs> it's this and the and the double double episode uh for the finale we have this much money like let's let's pay some let's pay some character actors to get a line on this show. What are they going to do? Fire us? <laughs> um, this the lady in question. Uh, it gets off the elevator uh, and has to awkwardly walk between Bashir and Esri, who are 
going over what a great decision they think they've made to remain friends and not date. Uh, but they get on the elevator, and by the time they've made it to Ops, they are f- playing full tonsil hockey. When they get to Ops, Worf sends the car back down, which yeah. made me wonder, what if you could control an elevator car from the outside, and how shitty that would be in any hotel or office building? <laughs> I didn't know what he was doing when he uh, when he bent over to that basket of softballs and then wound up, but then he he nails that target and they go back down uh-huh. in the dunk tank. Yeah, you know, throw some water on those kids. Tell them to get a room. He uh, he removes all the oxygen from the car and then <laughs> sends it out into space and shoots it with the station's five thousand torpedoes. Kalos would frown on public displays of affection. (laughs) At Quark's, preparations are underway for the staff-passing event that everyone is psyched about. And uh, Grand Nagasek and Moogie and Mayherdu are there. Uh, Quark is so ready for this. He is thirsty for that staff, and, and yet he's kind of... He's kind of done that thing that uh, I think you and I may be more guilty of that thing than almost anybody we know, which is having the conversation in your head with the person you need to confront a million times before actually confronting them. So he steps to the Negus and is like, hey, listen, man, I want to be Negus more than anything, but I can't do it if I'm not going to be able to roll back all of your all of your reforms. And the Negus is like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's a big misunderstanding. Yeah. It was that choppy signal on the FaceTime. Right. Right. The staff isn't for Quark. It's for Rob. Yeah. A kinder, gentler Negus. Only twice. Shame on Quark. The uh, the dignity of Brunt is, uh, is the only thing... Uh, upended even worse than Quark because now Brunt has to like stop kissing the bottom of Quark's shoe and start kissing the bottom of Rom's. I really like the performance of Max Grzentschik here who is still very much the Rom that we've always known but as soon as he's given the staff his voice changes a little bit and he's got some gravitas to him and so when he like when he gives back the bar to Quark like, even his posture feels like it's changed a little bit. You know, I could use a financial advisor. It's believable. There's a weight off his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He is better suited to this power because he didn't want it and didn't seek it, you know? Yeah. I love how this scene ends where uh, he's just left alone. Like, everyone's excited for him. All of his closest pals have, have you know, slapped him on the back and given him their well wishes. But in the end, like... He is. Uh, he experiences the solitude of leadership. He's just left standing alone with that cane. I like this as a wrap-up for Rom, and I like it as a wrap-up for Quark, and it makes me wish that they hadn't done the Quark is going to be Nagus storyline before, because I feel like, as we were discussing before, wrapping up Quark is really tricky. It, it is a hard thing to do, given how inconsistently the character was written over the course of the series, and... This feels like they nailed it, but it's unfortunate that they nailed it by recycling an idea. It's the last appearance of Rom on the show, is this moment. Wow. Which, if you know this, uh, I think gives it even more poignancy. Yeah. 
what a great character. Yeah. So we need to make some decisions about the war, given the Dominion withdrawal. And in the wardroom, it's Belt Buckle, Cisco, Martok, and that random Romulan uh, <laughs> making the decisions together. Yeah. Random Rom, I feel like, has been a different Rom almost every single time. Yeah. It's been a, a lady a couple of times. Like, sometimes it's a senator. This guy seems to be military or tell Shiar, maybe. Um, but, yeah, they, uh, they're they just talking over the kind of logistical hurdle that they may have to overcome if, you know, if they do press their attack now that the now that the Dominion has withdrawn to... Cardassian space they're they're straining their own supply lines they this may be a hard thing to do but you know resting and and like chilling in the cut and letting the dominion refresh their supply of Jem'Hadar and their supply of ships is is exactly what the dominion wants so the uh, the room kind of puts it to a vote and they decide now is the time to attack it would have been fun if they end two to two <laughs> on the vote. And then Belt Buckle had turned to Cisco and was like, You're not really you don't really have a vote here, actually. Yeah. Like it's really it's really me and these two other guys, not not really up to you. This is a familiar problem that they faced before though, is like the risks of pressing an attack uh, yeah. involve so many of their own dying. That they, yeah, they're they talking really... about thousand ships that could could be destroyed by this. Right, right. It's a sort of horrible math they've got to confront here. But the decision they come to is to do exactly that. They're going to attack. Button on the episode is a scene back in the Cisco quarters where Cisco is doing that absent-minded spouse home from work not paying much attention to what his spouse is telling him, uh, which is bad because he is sort of not fully present in the moment when Cassidy lays a big one on him. I'm pregnant. There's only one thing. Well, I can think of a lot of things that you can't say at a moment like this. But I feel like the, <laughs> the one version of that that we see the most often in movies yeah. and television is... Are you sure <laughs> as a response to this? And a hundred times out of a hundred, that is the wrong thing to say. Of course I'm sure. Yeah. That is, uh, goes over like a lead balloon every single time. Right. Uh, he is able to roll it back, but it's that thing of like he is processing it after he's already voiced his reaction and... Uh, so it's not a great look for him. Also not a great look for him is that he failed to get his uh, male contraceptive injection last month. So this is his fault. <laughs> you know you have to take the hypo spray to the balls on that, right? <laughs> there is no universe I can conceive of where that's just a hypo spray to the neck. One in ball A, one yeah. in ball B. Yeah, it's like head on. You put head on on your head for a reason, just like you put the male contraceptive hypo spray to the balls. <laughs> uh, a, a beautiful utopian future that imagines a male contraceptive, but also a sort of realistic utopia in which men are dipshits and forget to take it all the time because the consequences disproportionately don't fall on them. 
amazing that uh, a torpedo has slipped past the shield perimeter <laughs> and uh, this appears to have been an unplanned pregnancy that yeah. uh, that they're facing can you believe it Castie has some feelings about this uh, yeah. and they are not all positive she's filled with some fear really and it's not like it's not the quite natural feelings of fear that uh that a couple experiences involving a pregnancy it has to do with the prophets and and the fear that she has about what the prophets said about them and their relationship she thinks the baby's in trouble for this reason that's a heavy trip to live under and i didn't quite know where cisco's confidence came from in saying nothing bad will happen to this baby yeah I mean, it could just be the false bravery that you put up in a time like this where you're you're just trying to comfort your special person and you'll say whatever it is in order to do that. Uh, yeah. do you, I mean, do you think he believes what he's saying in this scene or that it's just uh, emotional triage? I think he believes what he's saying, but I don't know why he believes it other than just faith. The scene also really makes me wonder, is the next episode going to cover like a long ass span of time so we can test his hypothesis out? Like when the baby comes out looking like Vic Fontaine, there is going to be <laughs> hell to pay <laughs> at the hollow suites. Yeah. Shooby dooby don't. I think uh, I think Captain Cisco would be willing to let Deep Space Nine fall if it meant <laughs> If it meant the destruction of Vic Fontaine and that program. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. I think the sequence of things is a reason that this episode feels so strange to me. Like, this is really the second to the last episode. And this is, yeah. and I wonder if there was, I'm thinking back on it. Could this have gone anywhere else? I mean, the stuff that happened on Cardassia needs to happen in the linear fashion that we're experiencing it. But the the Quark story and yeah. I think to some degree the the Cisco pregnancy story, I think could have happened anywhere during these final eight or nine episodes. And I wonder mm, how much flexibility yeah. they felt like there was. It's a strange feeling to be so close to the end and have one last quote-unquote fun Ferengi story taking charge, you know? One of my favorite parts of that uh, Deep Space Nine documentary was the segment in which they got a bunch of people from the DS9 writer's room together and wrote episode one of season eight. Yeah. Like, if they were going to reboot the show or bring back these characters and and do something in the modern era what like how would you start and they show them kind of breaking story and i feel like there are there are things that you want that are note cards up on the whiteboard and the there are things that they want in this in this arc like like finish up brunt's story finish up mm -hmm. the grand nagus's story uh like Give us a future for Cisco and Cassidy that we can, you know, imagine for ourselves that I there I I wish that they had taken a look at a couple of those cars and been like, you know what, we don't have the space in 
in these 10 episodes to worry about brunt you know yeah i like i don't hate this episode it it was fun to watch it's it's just that it's like it, it like doesn't really feel like it tells an entire story it just it it felt more like information dump than than cohesive episode yeah yeah i feel the same way it more than maybe any other episode in this last combination of them uh feels like the outlier i think whether or not i like it is gonna have a lot to do with whether or not i like the finale yeah well uh do you want to see if there are any outliers in our priority one message inbox adam i'm on my way there priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental yeah it's extra but the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship we've got a personal message here from a happy viewer and it's to ben and adam oh excuse me it's to adam comma ben well we we're finally hearing from a happy viewer ben <laughs> Uh, it goes like this. Every once in a while, you two will make a joke so sublime, I can't stop thinking about it. I just had to put a spotlight on your reference to the 25-year-old SNL Old Glory Insurance fake commercial from episode 328 at around 48 minutes and 3 seconds. Then, before I got around to sending this in, ep episode 330 at four 43 minutes and 30 seconds, and episode 331 at 33 minutes and 38 seconds happened. You make it look easy. <laughs> this is a Q&A question that I think you and I imagined us getting at a Greatest Gen Con. That was an actual uh -huh. convention dedicated to all things Greatest Gen. This is like, this is making me very appreciative of a happy viewer, while also knowing I don't have a grasp of our own material the way this person does. Like, yeah, yeah. I love old SNL and Old Glory is one of my favorite bits. One of the great gifts that editing this show has given me is that my YouTube algorithm is always throwing like a 15-year-old SNL sketch yeah. into my like up next queue. And uh, it's always delightful. <laughs> Even when the sketch isn't that good, it's like really fun to go visit like, man, remember when Molly Shannon was like one of the stars of this show? It's one of the reasons it takes so long to edit every episode. It's because we go down YouTube holes watching old SNL sketches for yeah. an entire afternoon. So, uh, thank you, a happy viewer. You really get us, a happy viewer. <laughs> Our second priority one message is from the director, and it is to the deputy secretary and the commander. And the message wow. goes like this. Gentlemen, thank you for your friendship and mutual appreciation of Star Trek and all things geeky. I'm glad they who are our wives became such good friends and look forward to resuming shenanigans as soon as possible. Also, thanks for continuing not to participate in the nubbin scheme to seize power. We definitely do not have going. <laughs> Yours, etc. Wow. Yeah, the uh, the nubbin scheme I would I would steer everyone away from, but most of all, I think the dep the director and the deputy secretary and the commander. Please, no nubbin schemes. <laughs> I think the nubbin scheme often backfires in spectacular yeah. ways. Just uh, enjoy the fact that your wives became good friends and, and, uh, and don't press the issue any further. 
Well, if you have an issue you'd like to air publicly using our show as its conduit, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, messages that we read support the production of the show, so they're very important to us. Gotta get that, get that, go press that. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books. They send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Go, go, go.
Hey Adam, what's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! It's hard for me not to pick Quark, who's just so wrong so often about so many things. <laughs> I mean, it's almost incalculable how off he is the entire episode. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's fairly simplistic, but I think that makes my choice easy. What about you? He's the wrongest, Adam, but my drunk Shimoda is Seskal. Mm. Uh, like, we barely knew him, but his performance of being the guy on the ship that has the girders falling around him and is getting exploded in orbit was so great. Like, he really gave 110% to... It, like, it's essentially, like, cut to the, the cockpit as Porkin's X-Wing is destroyed kind of moment wow but he gets a lot more time than that like great call like those x-wing pilots that you see go down you get one second to see them by the farm and seskal was given like 30 full seconds on screen and gave every every bit the amount of intensity that uh that you would want in a moment like that and uh, i really i really thought that that added to the moment i thought it was great Porkins direction is the only direction you need for a moment like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I you know you and I have joked a lot about how much fun it would be to be an extra on the show and then die on screen. But I yeah. think uh I think Seskal and the actor who plays him Vaughn Armstrong has really given us a great amount of inspiration for what that could be like. He lived the dream. He died spectacularly yeah. on this show and died at camera in a way that uh, I'll never forget. Another another character that had like way more lines than you would see in a typical episode of Deep Space Nine. Von and, Armstrong uh, played 12 separate characters in 28 episodes over four Star Trek series. No kidding. Wow. He is a, he's a legend. Damn, that's dope. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Well, Good For Us is the final episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's going to be our next episode of The Greatest Generation. Deep I can't Space believe Nine. we're already here. Yeah. So, Ben, uh, what is the finale of Deep Space Nine going to be about? It's uh, Season 7, Episode 25, What You Leave Behind. The war against the Dominion reaches its final confrontation when Cisco leads the Federation Alliance in an attempt to invade the homeworld. The homeworld of what? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we don't need to know that right now. Yeah. All we need to know is how we're going to review the episode, and for that we go to the Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. I'm going to head on over to gawk.biz slash game and see where we're at. Uh, well, currently we are on square 80. Uh, looks like just ahead, we've got a caught in the nebula episode. That's the the no notes. That would probably be the cruelest way for us to end the series with a double episode that we can't refer to notes about. Mm. Um, I think I'm planning on doing this episode end of TNG style. Uh, just a a bottle and ice and mm -hmm. uh, and you. I think. That sounds no great. No matter what. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. 
All right, I'm gonna go ahead and roll this bone. Let's see what we let's see what we hit, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Wow, I rolled a one. So we still have that caught in the nebula out in front of us. We're on square eighty-one. We did not make it to the end of the game of buttholes. The will of the prophets for Star Trek: Deep Space Nine's final episode, but. Uh, when when we return to this game, I believe it will be reconfigured somewhat. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. And I guess we should, maybe we should decide right now, are we going to start the game over when we do the reconfig or should we keep the, should we keep the uh, runabout where it is? I like the idea of starting fresh. I could start okay. back at one. Yeah. We're going to add some fun new squares to the, uh, to the board. I know that uh, Craig Anderson and Felipe Sobrero are, uh, are working hard on that. Are uh, we still going to be in a runabout? Oh man, maybe we'll be in the Delta Flyer. Who knows? I've got a lot of questions about this new game. Yeah. I mean, part of the fun of the game is that it is at us. Mm. So, <laughs> so we will find out when everybody else does, I think. Yeah. Uh, but really looking forward to that. In the meantime, we really appreciate the folks that support the show in uh, the financial way by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Or in the uh, social way, by recommending the show to a friend or giving us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or on social media. You know, rec recommending the show to others uh, is, is as big a support as anything else. Yeah, both of which really appreciated in these uncertain times. Gotta, gotta thank all of our great friends of DeSoto uh, for not only their support, but for making the things that help the show be great, like its music. Yeah, Adam Ragusea made that. Yeah, the uh, the end credits music made by Dark Material, which also served as our uh, original Greatest Gen theme music, but uh, got a lot of other music on the show made by Adam Ragusea, and uh, a brand new set of musical choices ahead for the Star Trek Voyager version of The Greatest Generation to come. And uh, we also got to thank our buddy Bill Tilly, who uh, is uh, our card daddy. He makes hilarious trading cards about the show every week. But he also is now our social media director. And uh, if you follow at Greatest Trek on Instagram or Twitter, uh, he is always posting lots of fun stuff from the show. Uh, photos of uh, stuff we open up um, when we open up mail from listeners. Uh, just all kinds of great stuff. It's a, it's a really fun follow, and uh, we recommend it. And thank Bill for his service. We're really fortunate we have people involved in the show who make it better. Well, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which will be my final sign-off of the show before Ben takes over for oh, the wow. new series. This is how we've done it, right? We've always alternated <laughs> so. on series. So yeah. now uh, after after the next episode, this job will be yours. I wow. will I will hand you my my cane. <laughs> Looking forward to that. I'm uh, I'm already spending the money in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna upgrade the plumbing around here.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.